Mixed Media Gaming. Welcome back to the uh, Mixed Media Podcast, or I guess if you're watching live, you've always been here. But if you're watching the post, welcome back. Currently, we have uh, an interesting one. We have my first review, which is interesting. Uh, we've had you know, quite a few reviews before, or not review, I'm going to say interview, my bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had quite a bit of uh, interviews before, but never for the gaming side of things. So this is interesting. And uh, the people we're reviewing are uh, these two people we have here. Uh, we have Colin and Alden, uh, who are part of the Catholic Game Review yeah, team. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I, I sort of doesn't um, you know maybe a general theme of like uh, how things have changed throughout time in the games industry. But um, you know, in terms of my questions, they're pretty scattered around, and it's sort of everywhere. So <laughs> it'll be a, be a, be a bit of everything. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll get right into it. So, uh, yeah, first thing I want to ask is, how do you guys, uh, how do you guys meet each other? Because I figured, I, I, my assumption was that you're both in the same school. I don't know why that was my assumption, but then you said you're in high school. One of you said, uh, Alden said he's in high school. Uh, Colin said he was in college, so I assume that's just not how that worked. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually a bit of a funny story. Uh, so most, most of the people who uh, do stuff for my site, I actually met through a different Discord, which uh, we can maybe talk about that a bit later, but in uh, Colin's and his uh, brother's case, they actually found me through an ad that we were serving, uh, which was funny because I didn't really know if people ever actually clicked uh, clicked on those things or if they did ever did I and did anything. But one day I was asking in the Discord if anyone had seen our ads, and I guess that's where Colin came from. We just have a uh, little form on on our site in the uh, FAQ where you can send us an email, and uh, you know Colin did that. I forget uh, which game it was for. Uh, at the time, I was writing on a obscure little indie game by the name of Maiden and Spell. Okay, yeah, I remember that one. But yeah, so he, uh, so he did that. We got it. We, sorry, we got it published. And now I'd say you're probably one of the most active uh, reviewers for our site. I know we've had some new people kind of pop up as of late with uh, K Max, but uh, yeah, I'd say you and your brother probably make a good. I don't know. 30 to 40% of our reviews at the moment, I'd say. <laughs> Definitely helping a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes from my own personal conviction to have at least one thing written a month so that, in, you know, I'm always doing my part. Uh, but yeah, as far as how I see our story, really, I actually found your website um, a little while before I sent it in because I went back and forth for a little while on whether or not I was actually going to do it. Um, but then I just wrote the review, sent it in at the behest of my mother, who was really encouraging me at the time. And uh, yeah, oh, one year and four months later, here I am on a podcast. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> it's crazy how that worked out. So you mentioned that you were already writing the review. Is that like, were you publishing it on somewhere else or was it just for yourself? No, I spent like a month of prep trying to get my first draft ready to show because I was very thorough like that. But as it turns out, Alden is just very chill and is very willing to work with whatever you send him in. Not that you can just send him garbage and he'll publish it, of course. Yeah. But he's very good at cooperating with the writers. And uh, and just for some context, uh, the way I set the rules out, pe uh, people actually have to send us like a sample of what they're going to review, because uh, I've gotten a decent a decent amount of people who said that they wanted to write for our site and then they just didn't you know con uh, con contact us after the moment. So I don't really want to have people joining the Discord uh, without really being able to offer anything. So it's kind of just a way to make sure that uh, everyone who uh, wants to help out the site is really serious about uh, what they're doing. And yeah, it just keeps out, you know, some bloat from random people joining because I, sh I share a lot of stuff in our Discord. So I try to keep it pretty tight. Gotcha, gotcha. So how many people would you say like are active team members at this moment? I would say about 10. Uh, we have two that are priests and they don't, uh, they don't write anything. They, they'll just give comments on reviews every once in a while. We, uh, we have a few that are 
uh, kind of just busy with their own stuff. One of them actually uh, has written a, a couple books and uh, has his own website and does articles for other websites as well. So he doesn't do uh, a bunch of stuff for our site because he's pretty busy. But yeah, I'd say about, um, yeah, around like 10 in total. Uh, and then, of course, we have social media manager as well. I help with a bit of that, but we have a guy who helps with the uh, Instagram and makes these special weekly posts uh, that aren't reviews, but just try to relate, you know, something from a game to some sort of Catholic Christian teaching. And yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not any sort of small like operation here. This is like uh, properly properly organized, which is which is really cool. I wasn't sure if like it was more like a you know like um, a very like ragtag group of people who are just sort of like. You know, yeah, without much of a plan, <laughs> but you guys seem pretty well organized, which is pretty cool. I would say that it probably did start out like that. I think it was really just me and in in sorry in in Kairos, who's our uh, web guy. I honestly actually came up with the site just because I was checking out uh, how much it would cost for domain names on GoDaddy, and I saw that Catholic game reviews was like. 12 bucks and i thought that was a steal i was surprised it wasn't taken so i took it and then i'm like you know hey does anyone want to try doing uh these things for this site because i've i've ex i've experimented in the past with uh youtube and other social media so sort of things and uh it kind of just happened i don't know like it really wasn't planned i was just bored during uh the summer of 2020 you know i wasn't even in uh online school so I, I had a lot of free time, yeah. But now it's grown into like a bit of a bigger thing. and Yeah, so with that, you know, growing into something that you didn't really expect it to be, do you have like, uh, what are your future plans? Is it like, do you want to sort of, uh, you know, keep it sort of uh, a similar like state as it is now? Do you have like uh, aspirations to grow? Do you want to like monetize it like commercially or? So we do run uh, just a just a couple of ads on our site. It doesn't really make us much at all, but it's just nice to have to have those there to have at least some sort of passive income coming. We do have aspirations to grow. Uh, it was just this past August that I started pushing our team to do one review a week, and since then we've seen ourselves get significantly bigger over time. I think we're around like. 1,400 views every like 28 days. I just had my uh, Google Analytics up here, but uh, that was definitely much more than we were getting uh, at this time last year. Um, we are hoping to expand a bit more into our YouTube side of things. Uh, that, that just takes a long time. And as far as I know, I'm the only one on the team that uh, really has experiment or experience with uh, any video editing, uh, but you know, I'm busy with a lot of the other things that we do for the site. So we're hoping at least in the future, once we get an, uh, enough people to expand a bit into YouTube. And also we have a goal to uh, do some collabs with uh, other people um, on the internet scene, which uh, actually worked out really well when uh, you guys contacted us because we were not expecting that. So kind of helping meet one of our goals here for the year. Thank you guys for that. Uh, yeah. One thing I want to mention before I get on to like, uh, you know, the game reviews and stuff like that, you mentioned Google Analytics. I know before we started the show, you're talking about trying to uh, sort of separate yourself from Google and stuff like that. And that, that's something I definitely feel as someone who's a, I have a Google, Google Analytics account myself for a website that I'll be launching relatively soon-ish, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> and uh, um, so I definitely, I definitely feel where you're coming from there. Yeah. What is your experience with that? Like, what are you trying to avoid, uh, you know, with sort of uh, the products you use and stuff like that to help your website grow and uh, yeah. Yeah, so I've always wanted to uh, make a site that uh, really anyone can go on that, you know, parents could just let me, that parents could just like hand their phone to their kids and wouldn't feel bad about them surfing around on it because even uh, even on, on sites like YouTube, uh, they can be a bit iffy with the quality of their ads and i've ex you know i've gotten served some stuff that's like really just out there and should not have been allowed and just in general i know you you do, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket with a single company i think it was uh the creator of terraria like he uh he had all his stuff on google he had everything in his drive and his gmail 
And at one point, Google just like shut out his account and he just lost access to everything. He could not get it back. And it was awful. So I'm really trying to stay away from, you know, just putting everything into one company and, and sticking it like that. And then, of course, I want to respect people's pr privacy as well. Um, I'm a guy like I don't I don't use Chrome. I use a browser that, you know, tries to block all the cookies and stuff. And I was trying to go without Google Analytics for like the first year. But my friend told me, like, you kind of got to do it. No way around it. And I think the amount of cookies on our site across like all the pages went up from like 12 in total to like over 100 just after putting Google on there. So, guys, I promise we're not being creepy with your stuff. But, yeah, Google can be uh, a bit of a pain to deal with just with uh, the potential that it has and uh, how far they reach in their, uh, ser in, uh, in their services. It's definitely... Uh, quite a big thing and uh, a big weight on my uh, shoulders to deal with and be responsible for all of that. Yeah, for real. I think the Terraria uh, anecdote was a good one. Uh, I think for game developers, especially it's something I think about a lot is like, so I use a lot of uh, like uh, Microsoft suite products and stuff like that. I use like OneDrive extensively. Um, I couldn't live without it pretty much, which is kind of concerning <laughs> because uh, yeah, be a time where I might have to <laughs> without it. And uh, I saw something I've been like thinking about recently is like, how do I, you know, not put my, all my eggs in one basket so that one day my game doesn't randomly get deleted, you know, stuff like that, uh, or yeah. plans and stuff like that. For example, I used to take all my do all my show notes in OneNote. Um, I now do them all in Notepad, and that is a mixture of not wanting to use like use everything for OneNote. And also, like, Notepad is underrated. It's just literally just it's nice. It's, it's a simple application. I don't need, like, formatting, you know. I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I use dashes for bullet points. It works. Um, and right now, I'm reading off, reading off of OneNote, or not OneNote, uh, Notepad. So uh, it works. Yeah. So, Goatpad. <laughs> That's funny. 909 crime. Yeah, no, just from the the angle of, like, faith, you know, what, what sort of uh, inspirations do you have, you know, in, in creating the site? Yeah, is this is this something that you see being a, a bigger part of you know your your contribution to uh, you know the economy of the kingdom, so to speak? Yeah, so I guess a part of it is uh, we so the ad provider that we do have, we've managed to stay away from Google so far. They're called Clean Media, uh, and they serve ads that are basically uh, either in line with the faith or indifferent to it pretty much helps us stay away from any in uh, any in, inappropriate ads whatsoever. So you'll see a, a, uh, a lot of ads that are just for like, you know, beers made by monks or like some new, uh, I think the movie coming out. Um, Father Stu? Yeah. Fa yep. Fa Father Stu. Uh, he got some ads on, on uh, our side. I saw those popping up. Mark. Walter, uh, so right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I know in that sense, we've been able to at least divert our income uh, to a place I really feel good about and uh, just, you know, kind of what's keeping what's, uh, I don't know, right and just what's uh, better for people to digest because a lot, a lot of the stuff you see on the uh, internet these days with ads are just getting worse and worse and some really deep degenerate things that uh definitely from a faith perspective you're you're trying to stay away from as much as reasonably po as reasonably possible and since we're not really trying to grow our site into like a huge business i don't you know plan on it being my job ever really i don't mind taking a hit uh with uh revenue to just uh try and put in all of our uh money to what I think is better because we, uh, we also do our own ads through them. So I've, I've been able to stay away from paying Google for stuff so far, but yeah. On the same, same, you know, train of thought as that. Uh, one thing I want to ask is, so obviously, uh, the thing that separates you from the other viewers is that you, you know, you, you append a Catholic to the beginning of your, of your, uh, of your URL. Right. So how does, how does that, uh, affect how you review things? Uh, you know, do you review things from like, Catholic perspective is in you know specifically bringing up uh, certain topics and themes and stuff like that, uh, or is it mostly you know around the same with some Catholic talks? Yeah. All right, so I'll yeah yeah 
Yeah, uh, I was going to say we can let Colin handle this one, but I did want to say really quick, uh, probably the biggest thing we do is just out is uh, outline the type of content that's uh, in the game and just that uh, and just stuff that any Catholic or parent should know before before playing it so they can just so they can decide beforehand if it's a game that's good for them or not because a lot of games will kind of hide the uh, stuff that they have underneath but uh, we do have another uh, thing that we ch- that we try to do where we touch on it from a faith perspective and I think Colin can give uh, some insight on this because he's probably the best one of our team when it comes to uh, connecting games with uh, parts from the faith so Oh, that's that's very yeah. flattering of you all. Thank you. So yeah, at first, uh, when I came to the site, uh, you know, uh, all that year back ago, um, I actually uh, didn't come at my games from much of a faith perspective at all. I was very concerned with being able to prove myself as someone who can analyze games competently. So a lot of my early reviews have that very uh, rigid, stoic, uh, trying to uh, gauge the quality of the stuff in my games sort of tone to it. But uh, there came to a point about uh, halfway through 2021 where Alden really encouraged us to start looking at our games and trying to bring out a little bit more of that uh, faith-based uh, takeaways that we find in them. And from that point is when it, it was a little bit hard at first, don't get me wrong, But once it got there, I feel like that's when my reviews have really begun to hit their stride, because in addition to all of the juicy analytical stuff I do, I also get to really stop and think about what it is that I've just sat down and dedicated well over 20 hours of my life to playing and what I can take back with that uh, as a person of faith and what I can share with that uh, in other people. So in every review, you'll find one section that's just totally... Uh, dedicated to this idea of uh, what can we learn in some small way about uh, our true lives from these little fictions that we entertain ourselves with. And uh, this actually isn't a totally uncommon thing uh, within Catholic culture already in other ways. For example, we have this way of reading the Bible called Lexio Divina, which is about slowly reading through a Bible passage and then reflecting very deeply in it about uh, what God is trying to say to you through that. And uh, I've heard like nuns on Twitter say that you can do the same thing with uh, cinema, cinema divina, where you watch a film and think about uh, what uh, God might be able to say to you through that. And I think the exact same thing can apply to games. And I'm hoping I'm bringing a little bit of that in my reviews. Nice. That's great to hear. Uh, so like and when you're reviewing game, uh, you know, you, you mentioned some of that, you know, uh, Almost like we were talking about, like uh, looking at games through an analytical lens, almost like a like a objective way of thinking about it. Would you say that um, when you're reviewing games, there is like an objective way to look at it, or is it mostly subjective? You know, it's like you know how I feel about it, or is there a lot that's like this is just how it is? You know, or a mix between the two? Um, I think it comes out to a mix between the two. Now, trying to say about the objective thing. Uh, is a very complicated thing to bring up, considering I'm in the middle of taking a uh, philosophy of art and beauty class where objectivity of art is a very hot topic in our current classes right now. So when you say that, my mind just goes, oh boy, I got to explain all this, don't I? But yeah, I think you can certainly look at certain elements of games and think about whether or not there's something uh, objectively good or bad about the way they're done. For example, you can certainly look at the art style of any given game and talk about whether it's clean and facilitates good play or if it's uh, very messy and makes playing it hard and that sort of stuff. But on the whole, there is also a very significant amount of uh, reviewer bias, to be sure. Uh, I jokingly like to say that the uh, review scores we give to the games at the end of each article is literally just us deciding whether we want to put a little gold star next to it or not and then the rest is just purely interpretation uh yeah it's complicated but there's a little bit of both i would say yeah it sounds tough you know i've done a, i've done a few reviews for the podcast and i always have you know some trouble with them uh in figuring out like you know is this something i should talk about is this just me you know is it like a is it like something that like 
isn't really an issue with the game. It's just me thinking about it. And certain things, I'm like, yeah, I think this is like just objectively like a problem, <laughs> you know, or objectively good, you know. Uh, so I agree with. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think there are certain uh, objective and subjective qualities to uh, games. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you sort of uh, how do you manage like reviewing these games? Because at least for me, it feels like it takes a lot to to like think about the game while you're playing it and still try to enjoy the game. Because I feel like if you're thinking about it too much, um, you might, you know, in your own enjoyment by sort of slowing down too much, you know, maybe uh, slowing down slower than, you know, the game developers intended you to slow down in a way, you know, you're, you're messing with the pacing sort of thing. Um, and I, I think, uh, I think okay, here, here's, a, here's an analogy. I think it's a similar experience, me reviewing games, to me reading books for high school, where I would have to take notes on the books and, you know, so prepare for like a test or whatever, um, and uh, I would always not want to read the book because I didn't want to take the notes. It wasn't that I didn't want to read the book. It's just like I didn't want to have to stop in the middle of the book <laughs> to, to, you know, I'm enjoying this book. I don't want to have to write something down. I'd rather just, you know, internalize it in my brain and move on. So I'm wondering uh, if you have similar experiences with games, uh, do you find it hard or maybe easy just to, like, you know, um, think about what you're reviewing? And do you even write things down while you're playing the game, or is it just something you write down after you've completed playing the game? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. For me, I tend to have a pretty sharp uh, mental trap for just remembering certain experiences and stuff that happened to me throughout a game. Uh, I think the only time I ever took notes was uh, when I was playing a, a game uh, during last year, which ended on a cliffhanger. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to want to re review this in tandem with the sequel to give a good idea of the story. So I wrote down my impressions and left it at that. That should be coming to fruition soon, by the way. But, um, yeah, for the most part, uh, the way I see it is if the game is putting your um, brain into big time reviewer mode, that's more or less, uh, I think, a valid part of one's own experience with a game. You know, the less you feel like you're doing it to review it, the more likely it is that you're going to say nice things in the review because it was able to keep you entertained. And you'll remember the good parts more because you're not thinking so critically about it. I would say. Mm, I see. I think I think uh, uh, one thing that like happens to me as I learn more and more about game dev is sort of like I start to go into that reviewer mode more often, or I guess my analyzing mode, as I sort of understand what I'm what I'm taking in, <laughs> you know, um, more and more. And I don't know if you know. I feel like, like it's both good and bad. In one sense, I feel like sometimes. I'm picking like obviously like I'm not enjoying certain games as much as I could be because some people just like look past the small like issues and they don't even think about it right for me it's like I don't know I can't I can't avoid I can't not look at that you know <laughs> the small uh, the small issue but on the other hand uh, I get I think when things go right and when game developers do things right I sort of gain a greater appreciation for what they're doing um, and uh, as well also you know let's be, let's be learned from the from the game developers you know what's something I want to do myself is uh, make games and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so on the theme of reviewing games, I was wondering, uh, both of you, what do you think about the um, sort of the quality of games as time progresses? I've seen on your website, they've used games from all sorts of time periods, from modern to uh, fairly older titles. I was wondering, do you see any sort of like quality trends? You know, a lot of people say that, you know, new games are worse than older games, and there are some people who say the other way around. I don't really have an opinion on it. I talked about this before. I don't have an opinion on it because I haven't played a lot of older games. So, you know, I can't really, I can't judge things that I haven't, you know, witnessed. I haven't even necessarily even watched playthroughs and stuff like that. So I was wondering what you guys thought about it. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot as of late. And I think one of the reasons why people like to say that uh, older games are better than the newer ones is uh, not only just because of the, bias that uh, everyone has right through those rose-tinted glasses for for nostalgia and, and such, but uh, also because now the game industry is bigger and works in ways that it didn't always. A lot of people like to point fingers at the uh, mobile games and free-to-play market, which I definitely see where they're coming from on that front. I would say that you could probably say that mobile games are objectively worse than console games, but that's only because they're designed for different purposes, right? So mobile games we've seen, they pretty much have to be made for playing in really short uh, bursts, 
and um oh so like that's why you'll see in like clash royale and uh or like pokemon go that you're never really doing a task that takes more than maybe like a few minutes uh so you're never able to engage the player in something that's as deep as anything with like console game it's basically impossible to do really elaborate stories unless you want to i don't know like uh maybe you know put up stuff on youtube some other time but nothing really in game they kind of just have to make everything around concentrated bursts of fun so kind of just making the dopamine going a bit and then of course mobile games kind of have to tend to be a live like a live service because uh the mobile devices and operating systems just move so much faster than with consoles or computers or anything else really. So most of them also have to be these sort of online ex- online experiences where they try to retain the player for basically an infinite amount of time. And it's been shown that for the most part, the best way to do that is to make a re- to make a reward system. That keeps the player engaged even after the baseline game stops becoming fun. So, for example, in in Pokemon Go, if you've been playing it a lot since 2016, you probably don't find it very fun anymore to spin the ball and and you know try to catch the Pokemon, right? Because you've caught like thousands or even tens of thousands of them at this point. The only reason you're doing it is maybe to get that. XP so you can level up or or uh, or stardust so you can make a different one more powerful or you're you know trying to battle a gym so you can get coins to you know get some cool outfits so when things get centered towards that I can definitely see I would definitely argue that they're less I I, I would just say less good overall like it's a less respectable way to spend your time just doing such like a mundane task for such a you know, basic low-level kind of reward. But um, I guess getting back to the main point here, overall, I would argue that uh, newer games can be just as good as old ones and in some senses uh, be better since we have new tech that uh, wasn't always available back then. So, for example, uh, in uh, the latest Ratchet & Clank game, they introduced a mechanic where you can hop through portals to all these different environments really really quickly and and that only works because of the amazing capability that the ps5 has for its super fast storage and that's that's the sort of thing that you never could have done on the uh, sorry on the snes right and then uh, any big open world game where you're exploring such a linear format and you know like in breath of the wild you have so many different mechanics at your disposal that you can play with in all these different ways Again, that's not something you know they could do back in the day. So, I would say, you know, since the console market and uh, just uh, the market for the hardcore gamers is still flourishing and probably doing better than ever, uh, I think most people can attest that this year is just full of great games that you know are not just full of microtransactions and are big and expansive and tell big stories. I would say you definitely have to think twice before saying that uh, all the old games are better than the new, better than the newer ones. Because I, I think you can make that case for some because you know people can make bad games now, but there's still a lot of good stuff being put out every day. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much my take. I want to get back to this question with Colin in a second, but there's one thing you said that was interesting. You're, you're talking about uh, mobile games and stuff like that. I was wondering, do you think? It, the the well so currently the mobile industry is uh, in gaming is is on the rise, um, you know more and more people consuming games via their phones. I was wondering, do you figure that the degradation of mobile game quality uh, is a cause of those creating it or sort of the culture surrounding it and that sort of like almost like what they want or like you know they're not like looking for anything better or is it just like people are looking for things better but they're not getting anything better so they sell for what they have you know. So I would say probably a mix of it. Um, I can say that Apple and a lot of people, you know, like to hash on on their Apple Arcade, but they've really been making a push as of late with their subscription service to put out big games that don't have microtransactions and are pretty much pushing the limits for what a mobile game can do. 
And it's just honestly not going that well from what I can tell. I'm around a lot of people who play games on their phones, you know, because that's that's uh, at, at school. It's a lot harder to lug an Xbox there and uh, and hook it up than just play on your phone. And uh, I've had at access to Apple Arcade. And what I found is even though they've made some amazing games that are big, just when I'm playing games on my phone, you know, I'm never really looking for an experience like that, nor do I really have the time to really get myself invested in such a big thing. Plus, there's the whole issue of it taking a lot of power. So I would say it's definitely, there's definitely a big role that plays just where people aren't looking for that sort of thing in mobile games. It just doesn't work as well for those for the situations, you know, like when you're outside on a bench, kind of hard to, you know, start playing Breath of the Wild there and really get, you know, all the complicated con controls underway. I would say, of course, you know, game devs are always to, they're to blame for some areas and where they try to push the limits of how much they can monetize and keep people engaged without really caring for their health. And uh, there's a really good video I saw from a game developer con conference. I think it was called Let's Go Whaling, where a game dev kind of just talks unhinged about the crazy pra uh, crazy practices they do and really makes it clear just how unhealthy it can be for people. And he doesn't, you know, really try to tone it down at all. And I think after watching that, it definitely gave me a new perspective on the industry. I wouldn't say it's so bad that, you know, everyone should stay away. And I really like the games that have uh, that have a focus on the social aspect. I know a lot of Supercell games really try to do that with, like, the Clans in Clash of Clans or in Pokemon Go. They, uh, you know, try, try to get you to, like, join a raid with friends or gym battle with, like, other trainers. And I'd say that's def that's definitely a better way to go in that market. You just you have to be really careful because, uh, you know they research like psych they research psychological tactics. You know on what gets people invested and addicted the most, uh, and that's just not something you see people trying to do as much as with console games because it's just such a different market, really, and it's almost like an entirely different kind of. Me, uh, of media, I I would say. I feel like playing a game like, uh, I don't know, let's say like a really expensive RPG. So maybe like Persona or um, uh, some of the Paper Marios. I'd say it's more like watching a movie than playing like a mobile game is. Like it's closer to watching a movie than playing Pokemon Go, if that makes sense. I feel like they're just so different. That's all I got to say, really. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, inter interesting takes. Uh, so yeah, going back to the uh, question of the evolution of video games, how do you feel about it, Colin? Getting worse, better, around the same? Well, um, obviously, I feel like I'm going to tread a little bit of the ground Alden has already touched. Uh, but I think the short answer is, it depends. <laughs> but uh, okay, to make it a little bit more more specific than that, I think whether or not a game or a game type gets uh, better as it is used on more uh, advanced hardware is honestly completely dependent upon a genre and the sort of experience that the genre is trying to sell you. And so he mentioned uh, RPGs, for example, at the end there. Uh, that is a great example of a genre, which I think most people can agree pretty much gets better as uh, the march of games goes on, because a big part of them is the story, and thus the better you can present that story, the more it's delivering on the promise that the genre is. Like, for example, Final Fantasy VII, the original, is a really beloved game by a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, but like, even so, for so many years, people wanted that remake very badly. Uh, because over time, uh, that game's uh, graphics and, and ability to convey its story through text and all that uh, simply weakened as uh, RPGs themselves got better and better. So people had a real desire to see those characters and that stories told to them once again in a manner that befits like the love that they had for it in their heads. Obviously, what we did got wasn't exactly that, but that's besides the point. 
but then you have other genres uh, for platformers, for example, where uh, any given platformer can be absolutely timeless as far as its quality. Uh, I mean, Super Mario World is uh, still, I think, one of the most iconic uh, platformers ever, partially thanks to modding and such with the kaizu things. Uh, but uh, specifically because the uh, level design and the mechanics that go into that game are so well beloved that a lot of the people who like Super Mario World don't even really need to play the new Mario games because it feels just like, it just right. It's like eating a steak. Some people like it at a very specific uh, redness or well-doneness, and uh, old and new games can sometimes just hit that level of redness for people. Another great example of that would be uh, fighting games. People love the old fighting games. People love the new fighting games. People love fighting games that are objectively bad. Uh, but it's because uh, we all find a certain beauty in games just based on the mechanics that the developers put into themselves that pretty much transcend uh, the time that they were made. Uh, that being said, I do have one major complaint about modern games that does push me a little bit towards seeing the older games with a bit more reverence. Uh, and that, of course, is uh, the uh, DLC and lots games as service uh, models that Alden touched on a little bit. Uh, as I've been talking about in my philosophy class, uh, one of the things that makes uh, something beautiful, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, is the idea of integrity or the idea that something has uh, all of its parts together and it lacks for nothing. And with the advent of DLC and the way that developers are continually trying to capitalize upon it day one, it means games feel less and less complete on launch and therefore in some ways uh, less beautiful. And I think that has a really big impact on the quality of games because there's a big just ship it now, fix it later. and you know, once the vanilla version of a game comes out, it's very rare that a game ever fixes itself into relevancy. No Man's Sky, you are the exception. Uh, no question but, about uh, Yeah. One reason, you know, that a lot of companies give for as to why things have gotten, you know, how it is with, uh, you know, D day one DLC and stuff like that and broken games of shipment is they sort of point the blame at the consumer and say, well, you're not paying us enough. <laughs> you know, to, to make a fully featured game. Uh, you know, video game prices haven't changed until up until recently where we start seeing $70 games, whereas before it's been $60 throughout, despite inflation uh, and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on on that and sort of, is, is it justified? Should um, they just be making smaller games if they, can, if they can't make bigger ones? What do you think? Yeah, honestly, uh, I think this is a much more nuanced a discussion than we give it credit for as far as the consumer-developer relationship is here. Uh, while I understand that ultimately most people would agree it's the duty of the uh, developer to meet the expectations of the consumer, uh, I do also think gaming has gotten to the point where consumer expectations about what should be in a new game as far as like graphics and content length and such is getting to be uh, quite high and maybe a little bit more than the current budget can handle. Uh, but to that, I would definitely argue that the best solution in that case is for each developer team to uh, know their limits. And instead of uh, pushing their games budgets off to these high and away places and hope that DLC or whatever will help them break even, uh, they should probably try to work within the constraints and make smaller scale games because there are plenty of games that have come out that are very small scale, but have made a huge splash simply because the developers made do with what they had. Uh, I can think, for example, of this game I reviewed uh, way back in the day called uh, Celeste. I'm sure some people have heard it, but like that's just like, like a small little indie game, and yet it blew up as one of the biggest platformers of that particular year or even the year after. Uh, and you know, you didn't need to make these ultra HD graphics to make a good game. And I think a lot of these uh, AAA developers need to learn it's not always about delivering the fanciest, it's about delivering what's best, no matter how much it costs. Yeah, That's my I'd thoughts on it anyway. I'd say that uh, Undertale and Minecraft are definitely also really good examples of uh, things that, you know, would seem small, but 
you know, when you put in just the right mix, even with, uh, even with a small amount of resources, you know, it can really be a big thing. And yeah, I think people tend to, uh, overlook that a lot in the, uh, corporate world. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. If sure. I, if I may um, uh, add a little bit, one, one complaint I've always had is that in the gaming world, it doesn't seem as though the relationship between the vendor and the buyer has matured enough where the vendor can be well, well it's not i'm not assigning blame one way or another i'm not sure it's probably complicated but you know there's not a good relationship in terms of being honest about how things have to be so you know gaming studios feel the need to instead of say okay we just can't do x because we just don't have the money for it which is something you can perfectly fine do while you're marketing perfectly well you know it's not embarrassing it's just being honest about your limitations plenty of industries do that you know um and then the audience expectation is then adjusted properly that makes sense um so that's one of the thoughts i have there yeah i think i said stuff before about uh, i think did i have it did i have an episode on this i can't remember at least i considered it on having a episode on small form factor games i think i did I don't know what I said, but <laughs> my opinions may have changed. But um, I, def- I definitely think a lot of games do more than they need to. Like the you know the the buzzword I hate is open world, and I don't have anything I don't intrin- anything intrinsically wrong with open world games. But I do often feel you know I think I remember at the start of uh, the whole mixed media podcast thing, like the first few episodes I was just railing on Ubisoft for like a few episodes because they're bad. So uh, <laughs> and specifically in the fact that I didn't feel like any other games needed to be open world games. Other than be better if they focused their budget into doing uh, other things. I think, uh, yeah, I think I think part of the problem is like they're spending money on the wrong things. Like, okay, you could spend money on making an open, open world or you can spend money on all these other things that I feel are more important and maybe you sell more copies. I don't know. But obviously, I'm not an expert. Um, you know, Ubisoft is a large company, and they managed to do something right, I guess, uh, <laughs> to get to their get to their size. So maybe I'm just wrong there. Um, yeah, I think it's also. Uh, I'm sure a lot of devs don't really realize what they're getting into when they go open world. We've seen with how long Breath of the Wild took, and then even its uh, even its sequel, which is reusing a bunch of assets and the engine and the map. It's been five years now. And it's still in the works, and they just had to delay it to last year. So it looks like it's going to be six overall. And, you know, this is Nintendo. This is, like, big AAA. Um, I think people, they they just, it's a very, very hard thing to pull off. And I think uh, we're just seeing some of the effects of people trying to follow trends. And this just happens to be a trend that's uh, not very easy to follow at all. Uh, and that's why you see so many flop with it. Because, you know, when people try to jump on what's hot, they're not always really looking that much to see how hard it's going to be in the first place. And, uh, you know, once they get that far into making a game and their budget kind of runs out, they're left with a quite a bit of a quandary. So, yeah, I'd say that's one of the reasons that uh, we're seeing pretty mediocre stuff come out is because people very easily get a kind of just distracted with what they're doing. Uh, whereas Nintendo, they pretty much do what whatever they want at uh, any time. And I would argue they're more consistent with what they put out because of that. Because um, they're very focused on themselves and doing their own thing rather than just following what's ever in the public psyche at the moment. Uh, your point about like sort of bad trends that people like to follow or not necessarily you know inherently bad, but... Uh... Things that are not always um, playing, you should, you know, stick to always, you know, always being an open world game. And that's interesting. Can you guys think of any sort of like maybe some good good trends that are like something you see in modern games that is relatively new and you're glad it happened and you hope it continues? One that I do like is uh, replay ability. So we found um, a, a lot of games have really been trying hard to include a lot of side quests and a lot of ch- challenges that really help the consumer get the most out of what they've paid for. So a lot of games, if you don't tackle any side quests, they can be really, really short. But we've, I, I think we've been seeing a lot that in games that really didn't have it before. So like in new, in new Pokemon Snap, they've, uh, they, they introduced uh, a thing where 
there's a bunch of quests for uh, getting different shots of of Pokemon doing different things. And then there's also like different star ratings for each one. And it really allows the player to get more out of that game than they ever could have before while still enjoying it. And then um, what's another one uh, in the latest Kirby. Uh, I know there's now challenges in levels well, where you have to do certain things like maybe beat a boss without taking any damage or find all these hit, uh, hidden things in a level. And it gives you a reason instead of just running through a level once and beat and being done with it to uh, really go back and comb over ev- uh, everything and get the most out of what you've got there. And I think they've been doing a pretty good balance with not making those side quests, those side quests required for someone who just wants to play through the game and not spend too much time on it. But for people that might have a smaller budget or just like the game more than uh, other people, I I feel like I've just been really able to get a lot more value out of my games than uh, I used to back in the day. Um, not not to say that uh, it can't be screwed up a bit. I know Ubisoft is kind of known to add just a ton of stuff to their games that kind of just bloats it out more than people like. But I think across the uh, industry, pe- people have been doing a pretty good job of that overall. Uh, as for me, now, I have some fairly mixed feelings on the idea of have game developers focusing too much on online spaces because uh, one of the things I wrote about uh, in one of my favorite articles that I released a few months ago uh, regarding uh, the purpose of video games, the telos of video games, as we like to say, uh, was that, you know, uh, the part of video games that bring us together, we feel, I feel should primarily come from a local, uh, you know, like couch co-op and competitive because ultimately, too much emphasis on one's digital relationships can be a bit strenuous uh, and have a real effect on your psyche and your daily life and even your friendships with the people who are actually close to you. Oh, but with that disclaimer out of the way, I would like to give a huge shout out to all of the fighting game developers who have been very adamant about adding the rollback netcode system into their games. I think this whole episode has just been uh, a great show of faith between consumers and developers who want to work through this problem that became super pronounced back in 2020. And I think it's just great to see uh, all of these fans and developers alike getting more excited for new releases over something they've truly been passionate about and have come together to make their genre overall just a better, more accessible place. I think it's been awesome. For real, I'm not too connected to the fighting community, so I actually didn't know that that uh, rollback was being uh, more and more like implemented on a wider scale, but that's great to hear. So that's sort of like a Oh yeah, if you ever to... need someone to talk fighting games, for sure, uh, I'd be a pretty good person to bring back for that. I would especially recommend uh, uh, my brother and fellow writer, uh, The Good Homs, also known as David, uh, yeah, he's our big fighting game guy. He, that guy can write King of Fighters reviews for months. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> he he writes like fifty percent fighting games. It's crazy. Um, I guess it's sort of like a specialization <laughs> within uh, within what yeah. you do. So many. I tend to be a little bit more uh, varied myself, but I'm also that crazy person who gets kind of a kick out of reviewing super long RPGs too. I really don't have to put myself through it, but I do it because it's a labor of love. All right, uh, I'm going to switch subjects quite a bit <laughs> right now sure. um, to something I uh, something I noticed on your website. Um, I was just going through looking at reviews and stuff like that, and one thing I noticed was uh, there was there was that one I guess it's a review uh, about E3. So I don't know if you can call it a review on E3, an E3 review, whatever. It was on on the topic of E3, um, the 2021. I didn't even know when E3 was happening. Uh, <laughs> I forgot that it existed. Uh, you know, something that was sort of in the back of my mind, I guess. Um, I didn't get to read through the entire thing, but I sort of had, my question is like, um, we're seeing more things crop up, like um, Steam's like digital festivals and stuff like that, where no one has to be in a given location and stuff like that. And E3 and and uh, similar like packs and stuff like that, they are starting to get um, their existence is starting to get a bit uh, sketchy. <laughs> how long they'll last due to funding issues? Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are on physical events and how um, 
you know, how do you think they're better or worse than their digital equivalents? Um, do you think there's you know space for them to exist? So one one thing I should probably mention is I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this or not, but uh, E3 for this year was canceled, uh, and of course COVID is not as big of a uh, deal now as it was last year. But last year they still kind of had it, and you know they say that they're preparing for a really big comeback next year. I don't know how true that is. Uh, there's been uh, reports, I think at least this past year that they're just being silent on a lot of fronts. So there's probably some stuff going on that we can't exactly be sure of. Um, I know myself, I really like, you know, having events in person and it's definitely different than just being online and uh, just watching a, a video while it still can be cool. You, you know, you, you, you just can't beat being there in person, maybe trying all, all the games hands on. Um, I think really just, the fall of E3, it was probably inevitable anyway, even without COVID. Just in, just with how competitive the market is these days, uh, and how big of a role social media plays in uh, advertising, companies don't really need E3 anymore, and they don't really want to work around it uh, so hard as they used to. And I'm sure it's it's not fun to spend a ton of work on like this really great game, and then you have it uh, announced at E3, but then there's a game that's just a little bit better and everyone uh, everyone focuses on that instead. Uh, so I think it's I think it's unfortunate, but kind of an uh, unavoidable event that would uh, that you know kind of just has to take place with the changing world we're in and uh, I guess just the competitiveness of the market overall because we're seeing uh, games really have to try hard to make themselves seen over uh, other ones since so much stuff is like always coming out now especially this year it can be kind of hard for people to keep up with it all so they really need to carve out a space for themselves as much as they can to get themselves co uh, covered in the news as much as possible gotcha gotcha uh do you have any uh, thoughts on that colin yeah, not too much else really to add there. I think Alden uh, hit on all of the major points. And I mean, I think in particular what he said about uh, developers having to work around E3 was a really good point because, you know, with those uh, physical events that are scheduled to happen at very specific times, one would sense the idea that game devs feel pressured to get like demo builds or even just vertical slices of their games ready so that they can make some showy trailers or get their uh, demos on the floor and whatnot, which could obviously, I think, uh, hurt a game's development uh, or, you know, rush it to the point where later down the line they have to uh, delay it in order to fix things up. So I think if this new environment creates a space where developers are more allowed to announce games when they're ready to be announced, when their hype cycles are upon them, uh, I think uh, it'll be a much healthier change for it. Although, uh, as someone who's never gotten to go to a big uh, gaming press conference like that, it does sadden me that it, my chance may be slipping away as time marches forward. But, I mean, my real goal is to get to E3 one day anyway, so that's the really the gaming thing I want to do. <laughs> yeah, we're out of time. Yeah, the reason why I should have said this before. Oh, sorry. What? Oh, I, I just wanted to mention it wasn't E3. It was Evo. That's what I really wanted to get to. Evo. Oh, Evo. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, the re I should have said this before. The reason why I asked the question is because uh, you know I'm not a game reviewer. At least I guess I have reviewed games on this podcast before. But you know, it's definitely not my main thing <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, my main thing is game development. So I'm interested in a different perspective because, like, as a game developer, E3 isn't really that important for me. I'm more interested in stuff like GDC or like SIGGRAPH and stuff like that. I, you know, it's cool to see like, oh, these new games are coming out. But given that I don't have, I don't have feel any sort of urge to review them. You know, <laughs> like there's a lot less. Uh, I have a lot less emphasis on finding out what's coming out and sort of looking into new technologies and uh, new strategies. It's very interesting. The more and more I've gotten into game dev, it's like it's like almost like the less and less I care to play games, and the more I care to learn about them, which is uh, and how they're made, which is interesting. Uh, a bit of counterintuitive, perhaps. Um, all right, we're sort of running out of time. I did, or pretty much ran out of time already. I did not realize that it's been an hour and a half. 
I'm sorry, Irving and Ben. I kind of stole your time. I, I literally look at the time like, dang, it's 11 o'clock. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask some really quick ending questions. Uh, you know, keep them, keep them relatively quick answers. Uh, and then we can, uh, you know, finish this up. So firstly, do you guys have any sort of will to create um, games commercially? Or is, is, are you going to just stick to reviewing? Probably not. Uh, I would ask Kairos uh, about some of his stuff because he makes, uh, again, that's the guy that uh, does most of our website backend, but uh, he makes games on his free time. And I've talked to him about uh, putting them out on the site, just like, you know, giving links to them for people to try out because they're all free. Um, I doubt he's going to try to go commercial unless he blows up. But, and with all due respect, okay, that's a, uh, rare thing to happen um not saying that your games aren't great because they are but uh i don't really see that in our future that's not really something that we're trying really hard to do but i mean you never know something could happen maybe uh we'll get a smash hit or someone will join our team who has good skills with uh making games i do have contacts with some people who uh uh, do stuff in the well I guess aside from you from you guys now who do stuff in the media in uh, industry and I do know one guy who helped work on Fortnite but I, I don't think he wants to join the site unfortunately but maybe one day something will happen and yeah who knows what about you Colin any any aspirations to join the game dev industry well I mean as soon as the studio wants to call me up and say I want you in the writing room for our story uh, I'll be there, but until then, I haven't gotten any calls yet. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So not something you're actively pursuing, but... Uh, no, if, it is if, not. You know. <laughs> I've got gotcha. other ambitions. Gotcha, gotcha. Understandable. All right, so some rapid-fire questions. What are your favorite games? Mine is probably... It's changed a lot. Uh, Mario Kart Wii is probably my favorite for nostalgia. Uh, but my favorite overall is... I believe I have it listed on the site as Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Uh, many people think of it to be the best Pokemon game ever made. Uh, I would say Legends Arceus might challenge that title just with how much it changed up everything. Uh, but yeah, I would list that as my favorite game for now, at least. My favorite game is uh, The World Ends With You, which is a 2007 DS uh, JRPG uh, by Square Enix. Uh, I, I know it's not a terribly big title, but ever since I played it uh, back when I was in ninth grade, uh, I've always uh, loved that one in particular because it is just a very unique experience, and the story really touched me as someone who was also 15, like the main protagonist. But uh, yeah, I have a review of that on uh, the website, if you'd like to check it out. That's I, The World Ends With You. I think you have two, right? Because it got remastered yeah, this, it got recently. Yeah, it got a sequel called sequel. Neo, The World Ends With You. It's not a remaster. It's a full-on sequel. So okay. that was one of the biggest releases of that particular year. Uh, and I had to write a review of it because, you know, it was my favorite game of all time. Got to see what they do to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting stuff. Those are not like, uh, those are games I have to look into. I, I'm not familiar with them. Uh, on the flip side, what are your least favorite games? The worst games you've ever played? Dang, that's kind of a hard one. I want to say I don't really end up buying that many games that I don't think are great. Um, um, I guess I'm kind of in the similar boat that I haven't really uh, played that many games that I uh, actively despised. But if there is one outlier I can probably put my finger on, it would probably have to be pretty much all uh, like Battle Royale games. Specifically, the the shooter ones. I know, I know, you love your Fortnite, Alden. I but do. I for love me, Fortnite. it's just frustrating because you drop into this massive map. You have to scrounge around to even barely get your weapons, and then you sit around for thirty minutes only to get sniped from halfway across the map. <laughs> it's just so anticlimactic. I can't stand it. That same <laughs> feelings, and I always thought, like, I feel like I don't know. To me, it feels like battle royale because you cannot. Respawn of the matches are so long, and you're not. There's a lot of RNG involved with like what you get. I always felt like there was a sort of like a flawed genre in a way. Which, yeah, I have played uh, the game has fun, like various battle royale has fun. But um, you know, especially if you're not good at it, it ends in you just running around for like you know a good amount of time and then just dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do agree that there's definitely kind of a limit that you can't really get past with it and fortnite has been trying 
really, really hard to get over it as much as they can. Uh, I, I think that's probably why they introduced creative mode. But without going on too long of a rant, I'm going to say that least favorite game I've played, Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz for the Wii. Uh, they were just trying to uh, kind of do something with the Wii with the Wiimote back then, and they <laughs> kind of ruined a uh, franchise that was uh, very very good on the GameCube. I I think the recent re- remaster they did of the first two games were uh, great, and there were a lot of things good about uh, Blitz. Like I don't mind the change of art style, like a lot of people. A, a lot of people did, but they just kind of doubled down on uh, mechanics that I would argue are objectively worse than the, uh, or, s- sorry, ways of control that are uh, worse than their predecessors. And it kind of started them on a streak of like, gosh, uh, almost like 15 years of just not good games. Uh, and yeah, that was kind of sad to see because I, I do like those uh, first two games quite, quite a lot. And I uh, enjoyed the, uh, remake although i have not reviewed it as at least as of yet okay and last question and perhaps the most important question i will ever ask is so you know this this podcast was founded on the idea of bringing hot takes to light uh <laughs> in a uh, informative way so what is your biggest hot take your controversial take in the gaming industry or in art in general because it's a you know an art art podcast so it doesn't have to be in the gaming industry but it could be, obviously. I don't know how controversial this will be, but I generally don't think uh, the move to having so much stuff online is necessarily a good idea. Um, I should have mentioned this at the start, but I'll be doing cyber sec- cybersecurity engineering in a college, and I can definitely tell you having anything online just makes, you know, it can make things inconsistent and leave you at risk for attacks. And it is just the most annoying thing to me when I am lagging in an online game or their servers go down or just I don't have access to stuff. And it can just be a huge pain. And I feel like the Switch is the one console that is still consistently putting out good games that don't need an uh, internet internet connection and... I am kind of worried about the future, especially with like streaming games and not owning them as much. Very reluctant to uh, try and start doing that stuff. And I really do not like the idea of just paying a fee and streaming a game that I don't really own that re- that requires another party to make things work right. And all these things can go wrong and just, yeah, not 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 a fan at all. Yeah, we've we've talked about that kind of stuff before, and uh, yeah, I don't think yeah, I'm not a fan either. <laughs> That's yeah. definitely a topic of our podcast a few times is the uh, online only stuff. Colin, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have very many uh, like really broad hot takes. I would say uh, on the whole, uh, the the best hot take I can come up with is very specific. Like, so I assume someone here has got to have heard of Star Wars: The Old Republic. It's the MMO by BioWare set in the Star Wars universe. And my hot take in that game is there's this uh, particular class uh, that I personally play, the Jedi Consular, and like there's eight classes with different stories. Uh, everyone says that that class has the worst story in the game, but I am here to tell you right now that those people do not know what good storytelling <laughs> looks like. <laughs> because compared to a lot of the other stories in that game, uh, that one has a lot of really good setup, and it uh, naturally flows between events, whereas a lot of the other stories in that game fall into the problem of getting very video gamey in the way that they're structured. So, uh, uh, yeah, SWOTOR fandom, your move. <laughs> it may have been a very specific hot take, but I'd say it's, it, was, it was a good one. <laughs> it was very specific. One. Yeah. It's very specific. Um, and, yeah, I think that was... Definitely all we have time for. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, for, first, I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's the first first interview I've done, uh, so that was super cool. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see what you guys have uh, in store for the future. I'll definitely be keeping up with your reviews. And, uh, yeah, so lastly, would you like to shout out everywhere you can find yourselves, you know, uh, your website, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you got. Oh yeah, so just uh, our site is Catholic Game, 
CatholicGameReviews.com. Again, it's, you know, just those words. There's no, you know, uh, additions or crazy characters or uh, anything. Our uh, Instagram page is the exact same name. Our Twitter, uh, it's CathGameReviews, since we couldn't fit it all in the uh, tag. But, yeah, and uh, if you go to our site, you'll find um, all the links to anything. Or you can... Or you can just search Catholic Game Reviews, and we should be the top if our SEO has been good. Uh, I think it has so so far, so we should be pretty easy to find. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's where you can find us. Uh, so yeah, um, Catholic Game Reviews is really the most public thing I do on the internet outside of uh, just flitting around on Reddit or being on Discord, which isn't really a good place to follow people. Uh, so yeah, just. Go to CatholicGameReviews.com, look up the uh, author piece ribbon, and uh, read all of my articles, please. I would like you to see the evolution of my work. Definitely, yeah. He's, he's, he is a good writer. I'll tell you that. I try. Anyways, <laughs> thank you so much. I need uh, to be getting you. to bed, but it has been my utmost pleasure. Thanks for being here. It really means a lot to us. Yeah, thanks for being on. 100%. Always, yeah. All right. And uh, with that, yeah, I guess we'll uh, see you all later. See ya. Yep. Now they're frozen. Right. Now they're frozen. All right. Uh, we have some people who stuck around that whole time, which is pretty awesome. Uh, shout out to 909 Crime, who I know has been uh, commenting throughout this whole thing, which is pretty freaking yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to you and shout out to all the silent fellows who uh, choose not to say anything and also stick around. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool, too. Look, tell a man no trouble. I don't want beef, man. I just want vibes. Big man like me, no need for the telephone hype. I got too much getting online. One rule, then dead I'm on sight. Wrong move, I bet they gon' ride. No need for the telephone hype, nah. No need for the snoozing. Big whip outside, I'm cruising. Big stick inside, no losing. Better watch out for the snake and Judas's. Don't ask them who this is. I bet they know what I'm moving in. I bet I show it into a dim. How you hate and then lose again? How you hating my vibes? Why you wasting my time? Getting hype on my line. Tell a man I don't want feedback. I just want relax. Brand new whip, two-tone. I need that brand new hit. You know, like lean back. Brand new bits I live in. We back, man. You never gonna like us. Get them on sight now. Let them all light. That way they know I'm all righteous. Look at my life. I'm living all right. I'm nice. You know I'm all right. Looking like Christ. No need for the hype or fight. All telephone vipers. No need for the telephone vipers. <laughs>